0: God is good. He is. And Jesus is alive. And that's good news for us. That's got to be reality for us, though, you know? You can't just say Jesus is alive as a nice little catchphrase and then, and then still kind of go through life like everybody else does. Because everybody else is living a life. Now, I'm talking about people that don't know Jesus. You think about it. Knowing Jesus is not like knowing a great philosopher. Knowing Jesus is not even like, like having somebody smart on speed dial. Knowing Jesus, Jesus is your connection to the Father. Jesus is, is, I mean, this is how you can be reconnected with God himself who created you for his purpose. So life is totally different. We've said this before, but we're not just, uh, we're not just people that are headed the same direction as everybody else. With the same destination, we're just going to do it God's way. That might sound nice, but that's not true. We've got a completely different destination. <laughs> We've got completely different goals in life because suddenly life makes sense. Now, it may not make a bunch of sense to you yet, but if you ever notice that the way Jesus talked about it, many people refer to his kingdom as an upside down kingdom because nothing really makes sense. When you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, it doesn't look like the world around us, and that's the great thing about it, and he has called you to live in that kingdom, which in reality isn't upside down. The world's upside down. His kingdom is right side up. That's right. But you look upside down to everybody else. Because you serve a kingdom that's not of this world. That's unshakable. And you serve a king that is eternally good and is alive. Amen. I mean, you think about the resurrection and how it changed people. A bunch of cowering disciples locked away. The Bible actually says the doors were locked because they feared the Jews. Now, they themselves were Jews, but when it says that, it's talking about the religious leaders that crucified Jesus. They locked their doors, they hid, they huddled, and Jesus appeared to them and said, I'm alive. And everything changed. He not only said, I'm alive, but there's, a, there's one, and you might find this an awkward moment, but there's a moment where Jesus takes them and he breathes into them. That's pretty amazing. Wow. Jesus did sp- CPR on these guys. And he breathed them. He said, receive my spirit. And of course, you know, weeks later on the day of Pentecost, he baptized them in the Holy Spirit. And after that, they were never even close to the same again. Now, that's the reality. And when you look at the contrast of who they used to be and who they were after that, we say that's a big difference. And when we look at our life, who we used to be and who we are now, many of you will say that's a big difference. Do you know, this is not a one-time, let's just, let's just get born again one time. That was neat. Let's move on. Now, we did get born again one time. The Bible doesn't talk about being born again, 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 again. You get born again. But it wasn't just an experience that's in our past that somehow has echoes in our future. It is something that every day we wake up knowing that we are alive to God. And we're dead to sin. We're alive to God. We're, we're in Christ. Here's what I'm going to tell you today, because what we're going to talk about this morning is probably more simple than you might be expecting. This is a very simple thing we're going to talk about. There are times where we go deep, there's times where it's complex, and there's times where we've got to go back to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the heart. That's the foundation of it. Because your relationship with Jesus Christ is your relationship with God, because Jesus said... Jesus is God, but you know, in God there is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, there's no way to the Father except through me. Many religions, many cultures, every nation has tried to get to God. They've all tried. We've all, our ancestors, I mean, come on, please, please don't start talking to me about my ancestors. About the weird Celts before the gospel reached those British Isles because they were nuts and they were, they were gross, and they were, <laughs> they had a bunch of strange uh, ideas, but everybody was attempting in their own way to find God. Some sincerely, some as a way of getting power over somebody else. Some people were actually looking for God. Paul said in Acts 17 that every nation was groping blindly that somehow they might just grasp God. And he said to them, what you've worshiped in ignorance I now declare to you the question that we've got to ask ourselves because this is the question that will shape the rest of your life is who is Jesus to you not just in theory not just in doctrine but in reality because everybody in this room I I would bet pretty much everybody in the room would if you were asked that question you'd answer it correctly that's not about knowing intellectually who Jesus is. You guys all would get the answer right. Come on, you, you'd ace the test. If we passed out papers right now and said, who's Jesus? You guys would go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know this, I know that, I know that. But it's not a question of what you know. It's a question of the reality of Jesus in our lives. Because we all know the right answer, but so does the devil. Everybody, I mean, it's not about knowing it. It's about walking it out. Did you ever read when Jesus talked about uh, the the man who built his house on a rock and the man who built his house on the sand? And, And predictably, the storm hits them both. He doesn't say the man who built his house on a rock never sees any storms. They both see storms. But the man who built his house on the rock, his house survives the storm, whereas the man who built his house on the sand, his house goes away. Now, Jesus was addressing two different groups of people, and he explains it. You don't even have to be an expert. You don't even have to explain it to yourself. He explains it for us. He says this. He says, the man who built his house on the sand is the one who comes to me, hears my words, and doesn't do them. But the man who builds his house on a rock is the one who comes to me, hears my words, and then does them. That's the guy. That's the guy that's going to survive storms. That's the guy that's going to make it through. And so many times when we think about the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built the house on the rock, we're thinking about people that, that, that don't come and hear the word, that don't know the word. We're, talk, we're thinking about people that are just trying to live their own life. But in reality, Jesus was not addressing those people. He was addressing the people that did hear the word, that did come to the meeting. He was addressing the people that showed up to hear him speak. He wasn't addressing those that didn't bother coming. He was addressing those that heard it and then decided what they were going to do with it. At the end of the day, there's not going to be a paper exam for you to pass. At the end of the day, life will have its tests of its own. And your faith in Jesus and your foundation in Him is what's going to keep you standing even in the toughest of storms. Even in the best of times. You know, we've come to realize that adversity and opportunity often demand the same things from you. Like when something's really tough and you got to make it through, you're going to have to rely on the same things that you're relying on when things are going real well and the Lord says, come up further, come up higher, step into this. Time of opportunity and the time of adversity are both going to demand that you rely solely on Jesus, that you hear the voice of the Spirit, that you stand and that you walk through doors you didn't think you could walk through. Let's look in our Bibles at Matthew chapter 16. Many of you will be very familiar with this section of Scripture. And this morning, if I'm talking to a believer, if I'm talking to an unbeliever, if I'm talking to somebody who finds himself halfway between those two places, I pray that everybody that hears this word would hear what what the Lord is saying to us through his own word, that you cannot survive without him. You can't survive on autopilot. You can't survive out of muscle memory. We've talked about this before, so please forgive me for repeating myself. But your brain has different sections to it, right? There are different sections to your brain. And you know when you first try to do something. How many of you remember when you learned to ride your bike? Anybody remember that? I remember that because I grew up on a street where everything was gravel. So some of you rural kids, you, you can identify with this that... You know, it was not just a, a pleasurable little stroll. It was a struggle from the very beginning. And I, you know, you, you, you get up and you've got rock chips buried deep into your leg. I remember riding a bike. I remember learning. I remember your tire slipping out from under you because the gravel was just too loose. But uh, you remember when you learned to ride a bike, it took every bit of concentration you had. Like you weren't learning to ride a bike and thinking about other things. You weren't just like, you know, you first get on a bike and you're wobbling around and going, I wonder what's on TV tonight. You know what? That girl at school, she smiled at me funny. You know, you're not thinking about that. Everything in your head, everything in your attention, all your energy is, please let me survive this. Please let me live. I want to have grandchildren someday. So you're just, you're trying to stay up. You're focusing on it. But now, how many of you still ride bikes? Is this a thing? It's kind of depressing, guys, really. (laughs) I know we live in Lloyd's, Truck City, but, you know, you still can put a bike in the garage and take it out every now and then. All right, all right, I'm not going to get on to you. Um, Because my bike sat on the deck all summer long. We had great plans. We had great plans. So you ride that bike now. How much concentration are you putting into staying balanced and to into not falling down barely any I remember watching our son Moses learn to walk and it's the coolest thing seeing kids learn to walk isn't it and they they end up with a few marks on their faces by the end of it but but they learn and you see them and that's that's everything right there now even now he's not thinking about walking he's running and he's walking and he's climbing but you can tell it's not, an effort. it's not a thing he has to think about anymore. It's natural. Because what's happened in your mind is you went from a place of, of, of having to focus and having to put all your thoughts toward it to a place where your, your brain has learned, your body has learned. And it goes to something we call muscle memory. It goes to a different part of the brain where you just know how to do this. There's nobody in the audience that, that has to go, right leg, left leg, right leg. Left leg. You know, if you do, we can, Josh will pray for you. We'll get you right here because that is a sad existence. We know how to do this. Well, the problem is, is when you start, when you start following Jesus, your eyes are on him because there's no other hope. You're like Peter getting out of the boat and you say, Lord, if if this is you, let me walk on the water. And your eyes are on him because you know, if your eyes get off him, you start to sink. And we go through the life serving the Lord and, 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 and learning how our life, life has been transformed and, and, and you're wrapped up in it and you're, you're in it. But you know, if you're not careful, you can learn how to be a Christian. Doesn't that sound weird? I mean, you say, is that such a bad thing? It is a bad thing for you to just learn how to look like a Christian and not really follow Jesus. We're gonna talk in a few moments about bearing fruit real fruit, you know, my grandma, my dad's mother, we called her, no, I'm sorry, this is my mom's mother, um, in her back room, for some weird reason, I don't know, uh, this was never part of my generation, we, we never desired this, but how many of you at some point had wax fruit in your house, and you thought that was a good idea, right, at a, at a certain point it was, right, it was in, it was, it was in style, I remember walking by those dusty old wax fruit. Now, I was that weird kid that had to taste everything and had to touch everything. One time, there was a little bit of butter on the counter, and I couldn't leave it alone. I, don't, I didn't get butter out of the fridge and eat it, but I couldn't leave it alone. I just took, turned out it was Cascade dishwasher detergent, and <laughs> I didn't get that taste out of my mouth for a while. But uh, same thing happened at my grandma's house. I was looking at that wax fruit every day I'd walk by it. I had to know. I had to know what that tasted like. Because it looked good. In a weird way, it looked good. It didn't taste good. You know, it did not taste good at all. And we, we could, if we let ourselves, become good at making something look like fruit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. These are all things that come from a life in the Spirit. And most Christians know how to fake those things. But faking those things is not going to save a life. Faking those things is not going to breathe life into anything. It's the actual joy of the Lord. It's the actual love of God. It's the actual peace of Christ. These are the things that will change the world and that will change your life. And you know what? You can fake it. You can pretend to be joyful. You can act like you have peace. You can act like you're gentle, you can act like you're kind, you can act like you love somebody and secretly not, but that will lead to a very dark place. And what I want to tell you today is that relationship with the Lord is what defines what kind of fruit's coming out of your life. And no matter how long you've been a believer, you can't survive without him. You can't learn enough to make it look like you're doing the right thing. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 16, we've been headed there for a while. In verse 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? He's talking about himself. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So it's safe to say people are pretty confused about who Jesus is. They don't know who this guy is. They don't know who the Messiah is going to be. They're real confused about who Jesus is. They know he's a big deal, right? They know, I mean, he's doing stuff. He's a big deal. But we don't know who he is. So this is a question, who do people say I am? And most of the time, if you were to say right now, who do people say that Jesus is? You'd get answers because everybody's heard of Jesus. Most of them would be wrong. And I'll tell you why as as we read on. Because here's, he says in verse 15, But who do you say that I am? And those are two very different questions. Who everybody says that Jesus is and who you say that Jesus is, those are very different questions. Because if your answer is based on what they're saying, it's going to be wrong from the gate. But here's the question. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. These are two separate thoughts. They go together, but they're two separate thoughts. Both of them equally revolutionary. Both of them are are, are enough to get you killed. He says, you're the Christ, or literally, you're the Messiah. The one we've been waiting for all these years. Then he goes a step further and really steps into heresyville. You're the son of the living God. You know, the Jews did not believe the Messiah was the son of God, or would be the son of God. This is a new concept to them. That's why in John chapter 8, you see them totally livid that he would even suggest that God was his father. Because to them, they said, if you call God your father, you're making yourself equal with God. For Peter, a dumb, brutish fisherman, to say, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, to nail down what Jesus hasn't even said about himself and be right is an amazing thing. God picked this guy to say something smart. He wasn't used to saying something smart. That's not his main thing. Now he wasn't a dummy. But come on, he was getting what the the religious leaders didn't get. He was getting what, what Jesus had not even let on himself. And Jesus says this to him. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. In other words, Barjona is not his actual last name. Barjona just means son of the dove. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now look at that. You're blessed. Because you know this. You're blessed because you've heard it. You're blessed because you picked up on something. But he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't get this because somebody taught you this. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, who, what was the Father's method of revealing this to him? It was by the Holy Spirit. So Peter gets something that Jesus says, you couldn't have learned from somebody telling you this. Now, here's the deal. We have a lot of learning in Christianity, don't we? And it's a good thing. There's books. There's several opportunities to sit like you're doing right now and listen to someone read from the Word of God. There are lots of opportunities to learn. There are lots of opportunities to get some information. But it's not information that's going to save you. It's revelation that will save you. You want to know what the difference is? Information is processed solely by your brain. And it goes through all the filters of what you already know. If I were to tell you, guys, right now I need to tell you the moon is made of cheese. Nobody here would go, praise the Lord, amen, I believe it. Because you already have information about the moon. And so me saying it's made out of cheese just hits the filter and bounces off. And you go, you're an idiot. You're, you're an absolute idiot. And, and I think I need to leave now. You wouldn't say that. Most of you are very nice. You're very kind. <laughs> You'd just be praying under your breath. <laughs> Joining your neighbor's hand. We need to pray for passage on. <laughs> it's not a, because you already have information that says that information is wrong. And that's a good thing. It keeps you from believing crazy stuff. It keeps you from from saying, I can fly if I'm wearing this cape? Okay, I'll try it. Like, it keeps you from doing things like that. But it also keeps you from believing some stuff that's beyond the capacity of your brain to understand. I'm going to tell you this. Your brain is good. And God gave it to you and he expects you to use it. But it is not big enough to contain all that God is. And it's not big enough to contain all that he said. And it's not big enough to comprehend all that you are in him. So your brain, while good, while wonderful, while useful, and you should be using it, is not the primary method of receiving truth from God. He says it has been revealed to you. And so when we use the word revelation... The root word of revelation is to reveal. This is something that's been revealed to you. Something that you couldn't have got by yourself. You couldn't have understood. You couldn't have seen it. You couldn't have, made, you couldn't have figured it out. But God uncovered it so that you would see it. God revealed it to you. And the things that God reveals to us, you couldn't get any other way. It says in 1 Corinthians that if by the wisdom of the world... It says all the wisdom of the world, they, even by the wisdom of the world, they did not come to know God. The wisest people in all of the world tried to find God, but their wisdom was not enough to find God. But he made it known to us. This is a big deal. And so when he says Peter or Simon, nobody taught you this, but God revealed it to you. The Father revealed this to you. That still echoes to us today. Somebody might have told you about Jesus, but even when a believer told you about Jesus, don't you know that when a believer taught, when the first time you heard about Jesus and you believed it, that the Holy Spirit was there opening your heart to something. The Holy Spirit was revealing something to you that you couldn't have gotten with your head. So this is not just about somebody knowing more than you and telling you something. It was about God reaching in and showing you something you couldn't have known before. This is who I am. That's why it's stupid for us to go out and try to tell people about Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Just in our own intellect and our own knowledge. Because by the wisdom of the world, people don't come to know God. Flesh and blood can't teach you this. If you want to know who Jesus is, it has to be revealed by God himself. And that, my friends, is open to all of us because the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. Who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? If we were to go out on the street right now, go to McDonald's next door, Tim Horton's second cup, and we're beginning to ask people, who is Jesus to you? Everyone would have a slightly different answer. And some would tell you what they thought you wanted them to say. And some would tell you what they learned as a kid. And some would tell you what they learned in church. Some would tell you what they actually believe. Some would give you what they thought was an academic answer based on what scholars think. But we're not just talking about a man that lived 2,000 years ago. We're talking about Jesus who is alive right now. And if you say, who is he to you? That's, gonna, that's, the, that's the question that, that defines every other question you're ever, ever, ever going to have to ask is, who is Jesus. When we're sharing Jesus with somebody, we're sharing the gospel with somebody, that's what it all comes down to. People try to change the topic. When you're trying to tell them why you believe what you believe, they'll say, but what about this? And what about this? What about these people who did this? And they said they were Christians. Well, number one, anybody can say I'm a Christian. Doesn't mean you are. It's not hard to say I'm a Christian. You know, we look at the history, we look at the Middle Ages. We look at the Crusades. We look, at, look at, at, at all the things that have been done in the name of God, and we know that can't possibly be of God because it doesn't reflect the character of God that he revealed to us through his word. So it can't be God. Well, somebody said, what about them? Or what about this person? What about the hypocrites? And we know, thank, we've, are, we've talked about this, that the world is, is full of hypocrites. Everybody on the planet is a hypocrite, if we're all honest. But the only one who's never been a hypocrite is Jesus Christ. And thank God I didn't ask you to ask Eric Davidson into your heart to be your personal <laughs> Lord and Savior. He's a great guy, but he's not good enough to be your Savior. And you could point at all these people and what they've done wrong, what they've done stupid, and how they misrepresented. But the question always comes back to not who do you think I am, but who do you say Jesus is? Because that's what's going to save your life. That's the way to the Father. He is. Jesus said this about himself. So if you want to go off and say he was a good teacher and he was a great philosopher, he was a man who showed us a good way to live, and you neglect what he said when he said, I am the way. With the same emphasis on I am that God put on it when he spoke to Moses or to Abraham or to the people of Israel when he said, I am. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He did not claim to have truth. He didn't claim to know the way. He didn't claim to give life. He said he was the way. He was the truth. He is the life. I am. Amen. And so this is, the, this is the core of existence. This is what we, it all comes down to is do we want to know the way to God? Do we need the truth? And are we desperate for life? Because he is all of those things. I love in Colossians. How the church was being so led astray by those who claimed to know everything. There were a group of people who claimed to have secret knowledge that no one else had. And if you join our group, we'll let you in. Bit by bit, we'll give you the secret knowledge. And the Apostle Paul cuts their arguments to shreds and he says this. In him are all the treasures... Of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. He says to them, some of these people elevate themselves by visions they've seen, by dreams they've had, but they're not holding fast to the head. In him, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him is everything you need. It says he is the fullness. In him, the fullness of God dwelled in bodily form. And in him, you are full and you are complete. In him. So who do you say I am is the question you're going to be asked every day of your life. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Now, I'm I'm not saying you have to look at yourself in the mirror and ask that question, but it is the question that will define you. Because Jesus is not just the Savior of you two years ago when you needed a Savior. He's not just your deliverer when you were addicted to something and you needed the deliverer. Thank God He's that. But you can never be Christian enough to not need Jesus And if we're Christian enough to not need Him and rely on Him every day and depend on His strength and His anointing and His joy and His peace, if we've gotten past that and over that, you need to turn around and go back because you're on the wrong trail. I want to remind you what John said. In fact, let's read it for ourselves. Can we do that? Remember John the Baptist came and testified of Jesus? And he prepared a way for the Lord. In John chapter 1, there's an interesting debate between him and the religious leaders of the time. Because someone will always ask you not only who Jesus is, but more than likely who you are. And your answer is defined by who you see him as, right? So they asked John. Who are you? I mean, once again, weird guy, came out of the wilderness, dressed in animal furs, eating locusts and honey, yelling at us, telling us we need to let him dunk us in water and our sins will go away. Who are you? They know he's important. They've seen the miracle of of who he is. They know he's something. So who are you? And he says this in John chapter 1. In verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I know you think I am, but I'm not that guy. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. But in fact, Jesus said later, John didn't even know, but he was coming in that spirit of Elijah. He didn't even know that about himself. They they said, are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they've been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered and said to them, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It's he who comes after me, the thong of whom sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he, this is the guy on whom I said." After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I didn't recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and I've testified that this is the Son of God. Huge. How did John come by this information? Remember, he grew up. Like, I don't know how often he saw Jesus, but we know, and maybe he didn't see him often at all, but I'm sure he heard some stories. Because when Jesus was still in his mother's womb, his mom, Mary, went to go see her cousin, Elizabeth, who was John's mom. And they had a little party together. And John, even in the womb, leapt up inside and was full of the Holy Spirit just when he got around Jesus. This is his second cousin. But he doesn't recognize who he is until that moment that the Holy Spirit comes Now, the Holy Spirit's not a dove. Do you guys know that? Because the Holy Spirit came like a dove. Like a dove would descend. That's how the Holy Spirit descended. Now, I know that wrecks some of the movies we've seen. (laughs) But we don't know what the Holy Spirit, what, what he saw, what it looked like. All we know is the Holy Spirit, like a dove, came down and descended. And here was the evidence to John, because all throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would, would sit on someone, would, would rest on them, and they would prophesy, or they'd play, or they'd, they'd speak with boldness. But the Holy Spirit didn't just rest on Jesus, the Holy Spirit stayed. And John said, The guy that told me to do this, capital H, he, God was the one that told John to start dunking people in water. John was, God was the one that told John to preach this way. He said, the one who told me to baptize in water also told me that when the Holy Spirit comes on somebody and he remains there, that's the guy you've been waiting for. He said, I didn't recognize him. All this time, his own cousin, I didn't recognize, I didn't know who he was. But the Holy Spirit revealed Jesus to John. And from that moment, he says, Behold, that's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. That's the Messiah I've been telling you about. That is, boom, get ready for it, the Son of God. He didn't get that from spending a lot of time with Jesus as a boy. He didn't get that from knowing the Scriptures inside and out and recognizing Him just because He looked a certain way. He got that because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. Not long later, Well, years later, but not that many years later, John gets thrown in prison. He made some remarks at a dinner party that were not quite culturally correct, (laughs) politically correct. He gets thrown in prison, and he sends some of his, his disciples. Now, he shouldn't have disciples anymore. Two of his disciples already left and followed Jesus. They all should have done that. But some guys are still following John around, expecting him to be something he can never be to them. And he sends them to Jesus. Well, you know what? Let's read it just so you can see it yourself. He sends them to Jesus trying to figure out, because he's depressed. This is Luke chapter 7. He's a bit discouraged. He doesn't know what's gone on. He sends him to Jesus, and he says this, and we'll get through this quick. In verse 18, the disciples of John reported to him about all the, these things. That Jesus is healing people all over the place. There's miracles. There's wonderful things happening. And then the disciples come to him, the disciples of John, not Jesus' disciples. And they said, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? Now, remember what John said, what we just read? This is the one I've been telling you about. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is the Son of God. Now he's discouraged because things have gotten rough. And he's sitting in prison. And he goes, are you the one? Or should we wait for somebody else? Because Jesus didn't meet up to his expectations. Now, I imagine... If John had been traveling with Jesus, if John had followed Jesus around instead of still trying to have his own thing, he wouldn't be asking these questions. I don't think John knew who he was supposed to be after Jesus was revealed. I think he was lost. I think he didn't know what his place was. Shouldn't have been disciples of John walking around. Should have been disciples of Jesus. I'm not judging the man because Jesus himself said there's never been a greater prophet since Moses than this guy. (laughs) But I am saying, something, something's broken. From knowing beyond a shadow of doubt, this is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To asking a stupid question like, are you the guy? And he says, should we wait for another? Jesus responds to them very compassionately. He doesn't, doesn't chew them out, doesn't yell at them. But he says this, It says in verse 21, At that very time he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. That's a powerful statement. Jesus says, Nothing's changed, John. I'm doing exactly what, I, what the Messiah was going to do. I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do. Remember, Jesus right now, remember Jesus started his ministry by saying in Luke chapter 4? Started by saying, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And he named all the things that he's doing right now is what he said the Spirit had anointed him to do. I'm doing exactly what I said I came to do, John. You see it with your own eyes. He says, boys, go tell your master. Tell him what you see. You see blind people that our eyes are open. You see deaf people hearing. You see lame people walking. You see lepers cleansed. You see the people demon-possessed set free. Go back and tell them what you've seen because you need to get your head on straight, John, that it's not just about your circumstances. I am the same as I've always been. Now, I've been in this place, guys, and maybe you have too, where things get a little rough and you start questioning things. And you start saying, am I, you know, I don't know, I don't know. And you start listening to people that don't even know what they're talking about. And then you ask dumb questions like, are you the one? And Jesus, as faithful and as merciful as he is, says to you, I'm still the same yesterday, today, and forever. The blind still see, the lame still walk, the deaf still hear, the demon possessed still go free. That hasn't changed. You need to ask yourself, has my, has my idea of who Jesus is, has that changed? Have I let that kind of slip to the back of my mind? Have I learned how to walk things out and pretend like I'm bearing fruit, but I'm not really? Have I, have I, have I gone from a place of depending on him every day to a place where I figured out how to make it look like I'm doing good. Jesus says in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he talks about the Holy Spirit. But in John 15, he talks about the vine. And today, we don't have time to just dig into it as much as I'd like to. But I want you to go home and read John chapter 15. Because he says, I am the true vine. Now, if he had to say he's the true vine, don't you think there's other kind of vine you can attach to? Everybody's attaching to something. Something. You all know you need something, so what do we do? We let our job be the thing we attach to. We let a relationship be something to us that it can't possibly bear the weight of. There is no other vine that can give you life. Now, there's all sorts of things that you can link up into, that you can, that you can connect to, but they will not give you life like Jesus can. You can try, and they look good. But he says, I'm the true vine. You know, we're surrounded, you know, many of you were rescued from the pit, and every one of us, now whether you were addicted to something obvious, or whether you were addicted to something subtle, we all were addicted to things that hurt us, and we all came out of a place where we were depending on things that couldn't possibly save us. And we were looking for something to fill the hole that could never be filled. And we were looking for something to satisfy that could never satisfy us. And that's why we've chased it all our lives. And finally, you found out that there is one true vine that gives life, and that is Jesus. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I used to read that, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I just pictured that I tried something outside of Jesus and I fall flat on my face and everybody laugh and it'd be obvious I couldn't do anything. And maybe at first that's the way it was. But in reality, nothing is a lot more subtle. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know, apart from him, you can make it look like you're doing something? Mm -hmm. For a while, you can make people believe you're doing something. You may even fool yourself, think you're doing okay. But there will be no fruit that gives life to someone else, to yourself. Apart from him, there's nothing that's going to last. Apart from him, you could build a multi-million dollar empire. Apart from him, you could be the best at something. Apart from him, you could make it to the top of the NHL. But it's all nothing without him. None of it counts at the end of the world. And none of it even counts right now. Is there anything wrong with going to the top of the NHL? No. But apart from him, it's not worth your time. Apart from him, there's not an amount of money, there's not a check someone could give you that's worth it. Apart from him, there's not a drug that'll make you feel good enough to make you forget all the things you're trying to forget and to make you feel what you're trying to feel because you were created to know him. And that's the thing, even on, a, even on a molecular level, somehow your body, your soul, your spirit knows you're missing something and we're all looking for it. And thank God you found it. It's Jesus. Let's not get too sophisticated to get to the point where we learn how to walk out and act out what it's like to be a Christian. But we forget how we got there to start with. It's by Jesus. It's by knowing him. Do you know what I've noticed in my prayer life? I was talking with Logan. Is Logan here? No, Logan's not here. That's okay. I was talking with Logan last on, on Friday night. We were talking about how prayer is a wonderful thing. He was talking about seeing his prayers answered. He was so excited about seeing his prayers answered. And we were talking about prayers that get answered and, and, and how the Lord, you know, is so faithful. And, and we see miracles happening and it's awesome. But I also, I talked to him about something that's changed my life. Because I used to go to God with a big list. Here are the things we need to deal with. This, 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 this. And Thank God he's faithful. And I knew the right scriptures to apply to that. Uh, Lord, if we can just get this transaction done. I've done my paperwork ahead of time. So uh, here are my requests. I've lined up the appropriate scriptures that go with these requests. So I know that you hear them, you do them, blah, 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 blah. Just sign on the dotted line. You don't even have to read it. Just sign. Became like this transaction that we had. And what I lost, I never lost the, the, the thought that prayer was powerful. But I lost relationship. And I I lost something. Because in all the things I was praying for, I lost his heart. Now, he didn't leave me. He didn't forsake me. And I didn't go, <laughs> you know, go, you didn't find me at Gold Eagle pulling slots because I, you know. <laughs> just using myself as an example here. So it, it wasn't like I went way off the rails. But what I noticed was I was praying for things because I knew I was supposed to. I was praying for things because I know I needed them. But Jesus and I didn't have much of a conversation outside of that. I want you to think what your marriage would be like if the only time you came to one another is when you needed something from the other person. It's not good. What I've discovered is that when you spend time with Jesus, you know what you're supposed to pray. And you know why you're supposed to pray it. And you want it, and you know He wants it. The things, I I can't tell you how fun it is to pray when you know God wants this to happen. You're not pleading with God, begging him to change his mind. You already know what he wants because you spent time with him and in his word. You know his heart on this. You're walking it out. It's fun to pray like that. When there's a relationship with Jesus. Here's the thing. Picture heaven right now. Just picture what it looks like to you. Because when I was a kid, heaven was filled with all the best things I ever liked. I mean, if you liked coconut ice cream, heaven had lots of coconut ice cream. And a lot of times, this is what people think heaven is. But it can't be that. I mean, how lame would that be? It's just all the best things you could think of as a five-year-old. You know, somewhere on a certain level, we know that can't possibly be true. That God's saying, what do you like? I like Power Rangers. I don't like Power Rangers, but I guess I'll put them there for you because if that's what you like. No. So I I kept thinking heaven was going to be filled with all the things I desired, that heaven was going to be shaped to fit my desires. What I've discovered is as I grow closer to Jesus, my desires are being shaped to fit heaven, and I start to want what he wants. And I start to love who he loves. And I start to think, you know, this is not somebody becoming elevated. Because you know what? This is for all of us. He wants you. You to know him and to follow him around like the disciples followed Jesus around, and to hear his voice like they heard his voice, and to know his power like they knew his power. He wants you to say, "I want what he wants." I know him because Paul said, "I." He didn't say, "I know what I believe." He said, "I know whom I've believed." I know he would never let me down. It's not about a theology lesson. It's about the fact that I know him, and he's not the kind of person. He's not the God that would ever forsake me. I know he's faithful and he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. There's going to be a place in your life where your information and all the knowledge you've gathered will fail you if there's not a relationship with Jesus to hang on to. Because apart from him, it doesn't matter what you know. Apart from him, it doesn't matter what you've learned. Apart from him, you can do we need to stop treating Jesus like the last resort. Like the supplement when you need a little bit of strength. He is not the one you call on to take the wheel when you've screwed the journey up. He is the one, pardon my language, I know some of you say it. I don't tell my kids to say that word and I probably shouldn't either. He's not the one when you've messed everything up that you say, Okay, Jesus, take the wheel. Okay, now he's taking the wheel. Thank God for that, praise the Lord, fine song, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. He's the one that should have the wheel to start with. He is not your last resort. He's your only resort. Amen. He's our only hope. And I don't want us to get back to that place. Many of you are, I hear you talk. And I hear in your words and the way you say it, even the way you say his name, that there is a love there that you couldn't explain. Even the way you say it, even the way your eyes look when you're talking about Him, I know there's a relationship there and I want us all, to, it's, it's not emotion, it's not tingly feelings, it's not goosebumps, but it is life. We've been, He came that we may have that life. He came that we'd be reconnected with God. And that makes everything different. Some of us, have become so sophisticated, so religious, and so Christianized that we've forgotten what it was like to follow the rabbi around and let him speak and shake our world and shake our stereotypes and our paradigms. Whether or not you came into this room this morning at a very low place and you knew you needed something, or whether you came in And you thought you had everything you needed. All of us together have a great need for Jesus. There's a beautiful old song that says, I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words can say. Beautiful song. There's a slight flaw in that though. Because that song is true because it's it's, every day I know I need you more. Every day I realize I need you more. But the truth is, your need for him has always been 100%. Absolute. You've always needed him more than you knew. And that need never diminishes, it never increases. You always need him, absolutely. This is life. Would you step into life? I want any of you this morning that know you need him. I want you to call out, he has never left us. But if that relationship has suffered because you've gotten too busy or the relationship has suffered because in his name you've gotten busy doing things you thought he told you to do but you've left that relationship in the dust, pick it up. Because he's preparing for himself a bride. He's not going to show up on the wedding day saying, who are you? He's preparing for himself a bride, his church that knows him and the power of his resurrection. Would you please stand with me this morning?